0: Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese culture and history through historical Chinese dramas. We are your hosts for today, Karen and Kathy. Today we are discussing episode 33 of The Story of Yanxi Palace or Yanxi Gongyue. This podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain phrases spoken in Mandarin Chinese. In this podcast episode, we'll do an episode recap and then move on to some history. If you have any comments or questions, please reach out to us on social media at Chasing Dramas, or else on our website. You can also email us at Karen and Kathy at ChasingDramas.com. Episode thirty-two was all about the death of Gao Guifei, and now we turn back to the other plot threads surrounding Yingluo, the Empress, and the Emperor. I do find the next series of episodes rather choppy, meaning the editing is a little rushed and there's different threads going back and forth that are rather desperate, but they come together over a series of episodes. And so in order to not jumble and rush through a lot of these plot points, we are going to discuss one episode today and I think for the next couple of weeks as there is quite a bit of history and culture to get through, uh, so it's just better to slow down rather than rush through the various episodes too quickly. In any case, episode 33 begins with Ying Luo and Yuan Chun Wang together at Xin Zhe Ku. Ying Luo is appreciative of Yuan Chun Wang’s aid in helping her cover up her involvement in the death of Gao Guifei, after all, it was Yingluo who advised the blacksmith performers to strike against Gao Guifei. Though, as we mentioned last episode, she does not know that Xianfei also had a hand in this. To express her gratitude, Yingluo calls Yuan Chunwang Ge, which means older brother, much to his excitement. They agreed to become a brother and sister to help support each other in the palace. But, is it just me? or... Does Yuan Shun Wang seem like a creep? We'll discuss this a little bit more later, but he totally wants ownership over Ying Luo and he just gives off completely creepy vibes. We now turn back to the Empress, whom we haven't seen in a while. She is still bedridden from her fall, and this drama doesn't explicitly state this, but I'm going to say that she lost her child. I don't know why the drama cut that out, but maybe they just thought that, hey, viewer, you should understand that anyone falling from those heights and be still, I know, I don't know, in a coma for months or however many months has it been, probably would lose her child. Yingluo overhears some of the maids at Ku gossip about the Empress's health and point out that she's taken a turn for the worse. Of course, Ying Luo cannot accept that, and so at night, she sneaks off into Changchun Gong to see if the empress really has become more ill. She sneaks through one of the windows when she saw an opening, but is greeted by none other than Fu Hong. Ying Luo immediately deduces that he tricked her into coming. He tells her that he struck a deal with Ming Yu to let her in whenever Ming Yu is on duty. That way, Ying can come visit the Empress more easily. It is quite sweet to see Ming Yu's growth because she's willing to help Ying here. Unlike Er Xing, who only just cares about Fu Hong. We turn back to the one now pulling all of the strings in the harem, given the Empress's absence and the fact that Gao Guifei is no longer a threat. Xianfei accompanies the emperor as he hears the edict for Gao Guifei's posthumous title and funeral-related rituals. Xianfei motions to leave but then stumbles on the way out. This prompts the emperor to call for a doctor. And no, she's not pregnant. Honestly, that was my first thought. Instead, Xianfei has been working herself too hard to arrange the funeral procession and rituals for Gao Guifei, despite being injured herself from her burn. But now she also has a severe cough, which the imperial doctor reveals can be quite serious if Xianfei does not take care of herself. Xianfei, however, just waves it off, despite her burn injury being rather gruesome. In front of the emperor, she plays up the understanding and effective consort who must tend to the matters of the funeral. She insists that she does not want to disappoint the empress dowager or the emperor, and so she will certainly take a rest after all of these affairs have been settled. The emperor is not able to change Xianfei's mind, but Xianfei's actions left a lasting impression on him. After discussing with his mother, the Empress Dowager, the two of them, so the Emperor and the Empress Dowager, decide that it is time to promote Xianfei to Xian Guifei, Gui or noble consort. So, in the end, it was all worth it for Xianfei. She gets revenge against Gao Guifei, and she also now has the same title that she once did. This is all going according to plan for Xian Guifei, who now has the second highest rank in the palace. And as we see later on in the episode, she purposefully refuses to take medicine for her injury so that the emperor will always be reminded of Xian Guifei's actions. Contrast that to Gao Guifei's decision in the last episode, in which she decided to end her life rather than have the emperor see her injuries. One late evening, Ying Luo is blocked from leaving Changchun Palace because the emperor arrived to have a heartfelt chat with the empress where, even in her current state, he is able to share some of the thoughts that have been troubling him. I think it's pretty interesting here to have the emperor come and talk to the still sleeping empress because it really shows that he is troubled and he has no one to talk to which then kind of goes on to what he does at the end of this episode he is sad that Gao Guifei passed away but he's also sad that he was unable to give her what she wanted which was his love It's rather an interesting little monologue because we understand the challenges of being emperor, yet also the tragedy that befalls all women in the palace. Yes, they have the attention of the emperor, but it's just that. He can only give them attention and favor, but not love. He recounts the story of a woman named Wan'er that he used to play with in his youth, but was subsequently killed by his father. And it's an interesting uh, contrast because what the emperor here, Qianlong, says is that he recognized the death of Wan'er was his father's warning to him that as emperor, he cannot love women. He can only give them favor or attention. I think these words impacted the empress because even though she didn't wake up, her eyes started moving in her sleep, much to the emperor's concern and excitement. Just as he's questioning whether or not the empress thinks he's too cold and heartless, he hears movement in a nearby cabinet and catches Ying luo He is furious that she is there, but I honestly think that he is slightly pleased to see her. She tricks him into thinking the Empress is awake before running away, just as the Emperor was about to shower all different types of threats against her. You know, the usual. But now at least, the Emperor knows Yingluo sneaks in to see the Empress. And at around the midnight time frame. Next, we do have an interlude with Fei. and I think this is oddly placed in the drama, but whatever. Uh, Fei cannot accept that Fu Hung is interested in the likes of Wei Yingluo, and if we recall, Fei overheard that Fu Hung likes Yingluo from the maids in Changchun Palace. One day, she blocks him in the palace and advises him to stay away from the palace, and subtly hints that she doesn't believe the rumors that he would like a lowly maid. When he rebuffs her, she returns to her palace to fume. She's extremely upset that Fu Hung forgot about her, which for any viewer at this point in the drama, uh, the only logical thought process for us is, uh, what? There has to be more to the story right now. Chunfei, though, decides that it is her place to act on behalf of the empress because she has done so for many years in order to protect Fu Hong, and calls for the aunt who manages Xin Ku. Again, as Karen said, I was like, why are you doing this? This does not make any sense. We will find out more in the next couple of episodes. The remainder of this episode revolves around the Emperor's bad mood following Gao Guifei's death, but also the work that befalls his shoulders as Emperor. We see him throw a fit towards Gao Guifei's brother, who reported that his father wanted to return to the palace to attend his daughter's funeral. And we find out that not only did Gao Guifei pass away, his two other daughters as well. The Emperor is upset that Gao Daen would make this request because this means he is shirking his responsibilities in building levees against floods, which is what he had been sent off to do. The other thing for me is also potentially, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but Xiao Gao Daen, so Gao Fei's brother, did say that his father was very focused on familial relationships. but. Gao Guifei had mentioned how cold-hearted Gao Daren was to Gao Guifei's mother. So, maybe um, the emperor was kind of seeing through the facade of being a family man in Gao Daren. What I will say is though that the mini plot line with Xiao Gao Daren, or Gao Guifei's brother, in which he begs for forgiveness for his father's decision to head back to the capital, was a surprising throwaway. Why? Because why cast Zhang Haoyuan in the role if he was only going to be in it for five minutes? We literally saw him for like a hot second in episode 32 where Gao Fei was like, no, I don't want to see you. And then also for like two seconds here. This actor is actually a pretty well-known one, or at least we've seen him in a lot of minor roles growing up. So it's odd that he was in here, and I wonder if there were other cut scenes uh, for this character, which we never really find out. There's not much research that we were able to dig up. In real life, this Xiao Gaudarin, uh, who was Galway Fei's younger brother um, and not from the same mother, died a pretty sad death due to corruption charges, but I don't think we really see much of him after this episode. That night, the emperor heads back to Changchun Gong, and I feel like he went to expressly find Ying Luo. Seeing that she is making medicine for the empress, he actually does not berate her this time, but sits down to chat with her. Once again, we hear from him the struggles of being the emperor. Women in the palace always want something from him, which is frustrating when he is trying to steer the ship of the Qing dynasty. He believes that he is constantly blown off course by different challenges and the women just don't understand. He has to worry about the victims of floods and the treasury and the running of the country. How can he have time to consider real love that the empress wants? Yingluo takes this opportunity to remind the emperor that the empress does want to be in a true relationship, and she also believes that he is a good emperor. To support him, Ying Luo reveals to the emperor that the empress even taught the emperor's poems to her, meaning Ying Luo. Not, and I thought this was hilarious, because she thought that the poems are outstanding, but because the empress wants to know how the emperor is thinking at all times. The Emperor appreciates these words, but then realizes that Ying Luo said she didn't think his poems were that good. Uh, And with that, she realizes uh, she made a mistake and hurriedly takes her leave. The Emperor takes her words to heart though, especially where she said that as long as he acted to the best of his abilities and continued to solve through single tasks at a time, The subjects of the empire will undoubtedly see that he is a good emperor. Immediately, the emperor returns to his office and summons court officials. We see here just how brilliant the emperor is as he spouts off tax revenue numbers that even these officials do not have on hand, even though they are supposedly the ones who are managing these affairs. The emperor decides that it is time to exempt land taxes nationwide. We will see in the next episode more of the emperor's ruling capabilities and later in the history section of whether or not this exemption actually took place. That is it for the episode recap. Let us move on to some culture and history. At the beginning of episode 33, Yuan Chun Wang is absolutely over the moon that Ying Luo agrees to be his sister and asks that they do a bunch of rituals. But the creepy part is he keeps on bringing up marriage rituals rather than those for becoming siblings. The card that siblings are supposed to exchange is called Jin Lan Tie or Jin Lan Pu, which became a more established tradition in the Ming and Qing dynasties where individuals that wanted to become so-called brother and sisters would exchange these cards to establish this relationship. Previously, we talked about lan hua or orchids. Yuan Chunwang said that they'll become uh, brother and sister. Typically, people will say let's jie yi jin lan. The lan is, of course, the lan hua or orchid, representing the pure and unbending nature of the orchid. The thing that... Yuan Chunwan kept on bringing up instead for a card is called Geng Tie. That, on the other hand, is used only for marriages where the two parties of the marriage place their birth dates and family information uh, onto this card, which is exchanged by the two marrying parties. In this scene, Yuan Chunwan also did say, I want your entire birthday history, which I don't think is strictly necessary for the Jin Lan Tie, but again, Yuan Chun Wang is being a little creepy with Wei Ying Luo. Now let's talk timeline. We are 33 episodes into the drama, almost at the halfway point. And now we have more concrete evidence of the actual time jump of the drama. With the death of Gao Guifei, which was the last episode, we are now roughly in 1745 and 1746 time frame. According to history, and as I mentioned in the last podcast episode, Gao Guifei died on February 25th, 1745. In the drama, the eunuch Li Yu declares a decree on behalf of the emperor for Gao Guifei's posthumous title. The words include, Er Huang Guifei Gao Shi Shi Fa Zhong Xiang Gui Yi Zheng Fu Huixian, I'll applaud the screenwriter here because these words come directly from the official decree and edict granting Gao Guifei her posthumous title. The full text is a bit longer, but it makes sense that the drama cut it out. Similarly, we don't see the full funeral ceremony, but this is already good enough in the sense that, wow, uh... They actually said this whole long phrase, uh, you know, granting this title. Basically, what it means is that it praises her and her family and confers her with this title. These words are very proper, though. Basically, I would never use these words in normal day-to-day speech, which is to say, hey, good for the eunuch for knowing all these words because they aren't easy. Which, again, kind of goes to the fact that we really... Don't talk about the education for eunuchs, but they did need to learn a lot of words or be educated in order to support their masters. We basically then have a time jump. It's quite clever what the screenwriters do because by using Xianfei as the foil against Gao Guifei, her rise in the drama coincides with her counterpart's rise in history. Xianfei was officially promoted to noble consort Xian or Xian Guifei on December 9, 1745. In this drama, we see a very simple edict or decree with just a couple of words. Which means she of obliging temperament and gentle is conferred the title of noble consort Xian. Those eight words are taken directly from the official edict of her promotion. The difference, though, is that in the official document, it is actually the Empress Dowager that makes the decree, not the Emperor. This was standard practice, but in the drama, if you look closely at the edict, it says Emperor. The December date in 1745 was her official promotion date. There was a whole ceremony that happens for these promotions where they get the official noble consort stamp, which we don't see in the drama. But she was first promoted in history on February 23rd, 1745, at the same time that Gao Guifei was promoted to Imperial Noble Consort Gao or Huang Guifei. This is also just two days before Gao Guifei died in history. Several other women were promoted at the same time, including Chunfei to noble consort and Yupin, who is the mother of the fifth prince and whom we haven't seen for quite some time, uh, was also promoted to consort or fate. So right now I am praising the screenwriter for, you know, getting the timelines roughly correct. But of course, then we have this whole hanging plot line of the empress literally being just in a coma for I don't know almost a year if we're following like the whole actual you know real timeline. Alrighty next up we will talk about the poem that Wei Yingluo recites in front of the emperor. Wei Yingluo only recites the first four lines of the poem uh, but there are actually eight lines. Here is the full poem for you listeners. The title is as such 冬至摘居偶月旧搞治怀 or reading old manuscripts in a room during the winter solstice. The poem goes as such. 靜听条条功漏长摘居暂停万机忙那无诗句于清景恰有眉梢送冷香暗击沉边闲减点 日期就学重商量, 灰飞子夜掉元绿, this poem roughly translates to, The quiet corridors of the long palace halls. I am in the room with countless amounts of work. There isn't a phrase to describe the scene, but a plum blossom sends in a cold fragrance. Papers accumulate on the desk for review. Old documents and manuscripts need to be discussed. The midnight tune strikes. I am happy that it is once again the winter solstice. At the end of the poem, where it says "youxi tianxin fu yi yang," the "yi yang" means Dongzhi or the winter solstice. Hence, the title. I kind of wish that Ying Luo recounted the full poem because the second to last line, which says, means midnight, which is basically around the time that she and the emperor are meeting. So I guess the emperor might have been, wow, this is really timely. Uh, but for the listeners, I do wish that uh, they recited the whole poem, but I guess also it doesn't quite make sense because the last line, as I said, is the winter solstice, and it does not seem winter in the show at that point. This poem is just one of over 40,000. Yes, 40,000 poems that Emperor Qianlong wrote, which is why for the life of me, I can't find when this was actually written because... I guess 40,000 is a lot to uh, (laughs) document, so nowhere online can I actually find when exactly this poem was written. Emperor Tianlong was a prolific writer, probably one of the most prolific writers, but hilariously, most scholars and historians don't think that he was that good, which is why his poems aren't really well studied and why, again, one of 40,000, I can't find much details about it. So that joke in the drama where Wei Luo gives that one off comment where (laughs) she's like, well, the emperor's poems aren't really outstanding and the empress is learning his poems just to learn more about him. The whole uh, actual statement of his poems aren't that great is true. At least to scholars, because his poems aren't really that great. (laughs) Lastly, let's talk about money and politics. In episode 33, the Emperor Tianlong provides a rough estimate as to how much money his father left him in the treasury or the Department of Revenue when he ascended the throne. That estimate is around 33 million taels of silver. That in any stretch is a lot of money, and this is actually historically accurate. We did a little bit of research and it is roughly this amount that he inherited. In the drama, Qianlong decides to forego taxes for one year, in the year of 1746. This is also historically accurate. But contrary to what was mentioned in the drama, this is not the first time he did it. As mentioned in the drama, in history, Qianlong greatly admired his grandfather and his grandfather Emperor Kangxi did indeed freeze taxes for a whole year. Our emperor, though, did this a whopping six times during his reign. The first time was in 1736 when Qianlong first ascended the throne. The second is this time in 1746, but it was a more measured approach in that a ruling six provinces wouldn't have to pay taxes. There were 18 provinces, so for three years, six didn't have to pay, but the other 12 did, and they rotated. This was done to... Uh, ensure that at least some income was generated for the government. The other times that this happened were in 1771, 1778, 1791, and 1795. Some were to celebrate special years during his reign. For example, the one in 1791 was to celebrate the emperor's 80th birthday. So he said, you know what? Subjects don't have to pay taxes. Not bad, right? The emperor was widely praised for these acts during his lifetime, which, I mean, makes sense. I would like to not pay taxes for some time. There is a joke, though, because you know how earlier we said that Qianlong's father left him with 33 million taels of silver? Well, Qianlong definitely did not leave that much for his son. Qianlong left his son in less than 20 million taels of silver. All we can say is that... Emperor Qianlong lived a long life and was an extravagant emperor, so he spent a lot. We will most certainly talk more about that later on in the drama. And that is it for today's episode. I feel like we learned a lot about Qianlong's uh, ruling style and how seriously he takes his role. We will see actually a little bit more of that in the next couple of episodes. That is it for today's episode. If you are looking for sites to watch dramas and you're in the U.S., head on over to our sponsor, Jubao TV. That's J-U-B-A-O TV. It is a free service that has a selection of Chinese dramas and movies to watch. You can stream it through the website Jumo, X-U-M-O, or else access it on TV if you have Xfinity or Cox Contour. They have also recently launched on Sling TV. Again, all of this is free. In the next couple of episodes, there will be heartbreak for characters and triumph for others. So stay tuned to find out what happens next.